And I want to simply read one verse to you this morning. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As the prophets of old would say, thus saith the Lord. For if you have ears to hear, you will hear right in this text nothing less than the voice of the Lord. This is, I think this is the sixth message that we're going to look at that deals with parenting. The sixth message. I have a concern for us. Parents, I know we don't have a nursery today. We've got a lot of little ones here. Just, we'll all deal with it. Don't get too bent out of shape if they're being noisy. Just ignore them. It's more important right now during this time that that you listen than deal with the child because what we have to say today has to do with how you deal with your children. God has given... His voice. That doesn't, that doesn't cause us fear like I think it should. God gives His voice. There is, there, there, one of the Psalms, King David speaks this way in Psalm 29. And I love this one. You guys, maybe you're familiar with this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. What waters? Any waters. Whatever water you go to, whether it's a mud puddle or the giant, most gigantic of oceans, the voice of the Lord is over those waters. It's over the, the clouds. Those are waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. These are giant evergreen trees that are talked about throughout the Scriptures. They built with these things. They're huge trees. And it says, the voice of the Lord snaps them like kindling. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a a young wild ox. Now you guys, when you think of Lebanon... You probably think of the country. This has to do with a mountain range. And this Syrian is a big mountain. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. What you see when it speaks about Lebanon and Syrian dancing, well, you've got this picture here. Have you ever seen when a great tempest comes and how the trees move and they shake? I mean, you got a picture here of a mountain covered with cedar trees and the thing is literally moving and swaying and shaking. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oaks to tremble and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry, Glory! You guys, throughout the ages, this voice has been speaking to men. 
No matter how much they've tried to suppress it. Brother Charles talked about the homosexual trying to suppress. You know what men have tried to suppress this voice? But it's speaking. And I can remember 15 and a half years ago, it broke through. And it came to my soul with power and with authority. That voice, folks, is speaking. It may come like a still small voice. Remember how it came to Elijah? A low whisper, our ESVs say. It can be, you know how it is when the, the thunder is heard off in the storm on the horizons? It's just low. But you guys, no matter how low it might come, when it comes, there is such force behind it. I want it to come to our souls with that kind of force that snaps the cedars of Lebanon, that snaps our souls, that snaps our will wherever it's contrary to His will and makes us dance. Dance to the tune of His will and His commandment. That's what the voice of the Lord must do. You know, that voice once spoke. And you know what happened? Let there be light. And there was. Think about the voice of the Lord. To the demons, one little word shall fell them. Go! And they went. And you know what? When we think about that voice, and that voice creating everything in a word, it doesn't generally cause us to fear. I don't know if it's filling you with much fear right now. But you know what the psalmist says to us? Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why, David? Why should we be in fear? For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And you know what? Peter tells us that this same voice is going to speak one day and by a word, this world is going to be deluged by fire. Isn't it amazing that God gives His Word and the creations stand firm? They do what He says. And He says to you parents, raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And we say, well, well, we'll do it later. We'll get to it. We might if we want to. If it seems reasonable to us. And God's Word says you ought to stand in fear. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ says, my sheep hear my voice. Are we hearing are we hearing? You know, guys, as I have been poring over in my study of children, I have, been, I have read the book of Proverbs, I can't tell you how many times. I got it so marked up. And that pen Papa gave me was, was squirting ink as I would write. And it was leaving these big puddles. And then I'd close my Bible when I was done and it would puddle here and puddle on the other page. And I got so much ink on those pages. But I, I've been reading this and rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. Because I want to know, what is the wisdom of God? What is it? And you know one thing, one thing that is clear is those ancient Hebrews likened the voice of God to wisdom. 
into understanding. And they personified it. They, they, the writer deals with it as though it is a person. Actually, a beautiful woman who stands crying out to all the four corners of this earth and that no one may miss hearing what it has to say. Listen, does not wisdom call? This is the voice of God, folks. Does it not call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. And what does she cry? To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of men. Do you see what the voice of God is doing? Do you see what the voice of wisdom does? It calls for a response. To you, O men, I call. To you, it seeks a response. It seeks a response from me. And it seeks a response from you. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Of course, we're told that this is wisdom. This is understanding, crying out. But you hear the voice of God in this? I will give my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but not find me. Did you guys hear what was said there? At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. But you guys know what one of the problems is? It's noisy. There's lots of noise. There is lots of noise. So much. And you know what the tragedy is? Our eternal welfare and the eternal welfare of our children depends upon our hearing. And you know what? So often we have trained our ears not to hear. And I'm not just talking about the lost guy out there. I'm talking about Christians. We train our ears not to hear. And you might say, well, brother, I'm saved. His sheep hear His voice. Listen to me. I am telling you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says there are Christians that are going to be saved so as by fire. And much of what they have did is going to be burned up. Do you know why? Because they have built with wood, hay, and stubble. And you know why they did that? Because they did not hear the voice of the Lord. Because the voice of the Lord tells you how to build with gold and silver and precious stone. And Christians themselves can close their ears to this voice. 
Yes, you hear some of what He says. And you have responded. If you do not hear His voice at all, you are dead in your sins. But just because you have heard it speak does not mean that you have listened intently to everything that He has to say. Our welfare depends on it. And Christian, though you may be saved, let me ask you this, are your children saved? Their soul depends upon so much of what you hear. And God's Word affirms that. Believe it, it affirms that. And we'll look at a little more of that. Guys, one thing, and I know I'm, I know I'm belaboring this a little bit as we start, but it is the nature of God to speak. It's the nature of God to speak truth. And it is the nature of God to speak truth that if heeded, will end in our eternal good. And it is the nature of God to speak that way now. Now. Do you, you guys remember this? The writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Today. It means He's speaking today. You can say, well, I know He spoke a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. Folks, all this is, is ink and paper that form words. And I'll guarantee there's a lot of people that read this book and they never hear the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is out there. It's moving. It's over the waters. It snaps trees. Oh, this is God's Word. And at times when we read it, it comes through in power. My desire for you guys is that that voice would ring in your souls. Not just be something that you have on the bookshelf between two leather covers. Something that rings in your heart. Something that speaks to you today. God's Word says, Be still and know that I am God. We have such a tendency, folks, to do, be too busy talking and justifying and disputing and flapping our lips many of the time, much of the time. Guys, our safety and our strength, you think about this, they don't lie in noise, they lie in silence. And sometimes it is so noisy. And when God speaks, we're no better than that crowd in John 12, who when the voice of God came forth, they said, well, you know, maybe it was an angel, maybe it was thunder. We're not, we're not certain. But Christian, there is a way to train your ears to hear the voice of God. And you've got to turn the noise off. You know what? When we talk about a quiet time, I don't generally like that term. 
I mean, we, we need to be people that walk with the Lord. But you know what? Even though you may be instant in prayer and you should be, even though prayer may be something that you are constant in and you should be, it is important that you get some places, sometimes where you just turn off everything. Get away in that quiet spot and you listen to God. You open your Bible and you prayerfully, Lord, I want to hear your voice and let it sink in and mull over it and meditate on it and hear what He has to say. You don't want to mistake the voice of God for thunder or for an angel or for any other thing. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. In God's Word, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, we are told that if you heed the voice of God, it will go well with you. And you must believe that, folks. You must believe it. In the Old Testament, it came out like this. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of His commandments that I command you today. The Lord, listen, listen. This is how it was in the Old Testament. I'll show you in a little bit how it is in the New Testament. If you will listen and obey the voice of the Lord, Blessed will you be in the city. Blessed will you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of the womb. Blessed shall be the fruit of your ground. Blessed shall be the fruit of your cattle. Blessed shall be the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your basket be and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall be when you go out. Blessed will you be when, you, uh, when you're confronted by your enemies who rise against you. They'll be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. He will bless you in the land. Bless will he establish you to be a people that are holy. The Lord Opens you his good treasury, the heavens give rain to the land and season, bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations and not borrow, and the Lord will make you to be the head and not the tail. You shall go down, you shall go up if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you to do, being careful to do them. And you say, That's Old Testament. I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't matter. It is insanity for us to disregard the voice of the Lord. If, if some brother or sister admonishes you from the Scriptures and you walk out the door that day or your pastor says something from the pulpit or they address you over something and they clearly show you, brother, sister, this is what God says and you just push it off. That's their opinion. That's their thought. That's what this church believes. That's, you know, I don't have... Folks, it is deadly. And it will not go well with you. I just gave you the blessings. But you know what? In those, that portion of Scripture, Moses turns around and then sets before them everything that will not go well with them if they do not obey that voice. And you, you say, well, that's Old Testament. I'll give you a good dose of New Testament. Listen to this. Listen to what the voice of the Lord has promised in the New Testament. That you will be loved. This is if you hear His voice and do what He says. Follow His commandments. You will be loved by the Father and Jesus will love you and manifest Himself to you. Folks, I'm not propagating some work salvation here. I'm simply saying this. The Bible affirms that if God moves in your life and you are one of His sheep and you hear His voice, you will follow Him. And as you keep those commandments, there is a very parallel between the blessings that you will experience in your life. You may be saved, but live a life of disobedience and see where that finds you. It will put you right in the same place it took the Corinthians. 
God killed them. Now I realize that's on the severe end. But you will be dealt with harshly. And it will not go well with you. Even as a Christian, it may end up well in the last day. But folks, I want more for, for you than that. I don't want you simply to scrape by in this life. I want your lives to be full and meaningful. I want you as parents to, to enjoy your children and reap the benefits of a godly seed. I want that. I want godly families. I want useful lives. I want us to be fruitful as possible. If you will hear His voice and hear it, oh folks, you'll be... You'll have Christ manifest Himself to you. You say, my life is cold. My life is dry. Get the sin out. Hear His voice. Follow Him. If you keep His commandments, you will abide in Jesus' love. You will be held by His love. You'll be held by His love. And you'll not depart from it. That's what abide means. Whoever keeps His Word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. And by we may be sure that we are in Him. Assurance comes. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. Do what pleases Him. We get answers to our prayer. The one who does the will of the Father, who is in heaven. That's the one who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7.21 says, John 14.23, the Father and the Son will come to you and make their home with you if you hear His commandments, if you keep His word. In Luke 11.28, we are told that if you will hear Him and keep His commandments, Christ says, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. You want blessing on your life? Obedience is the path. I'm telling you, parents, the path to the best for your family, for your households, for the souls of your children lies in your obedience to God. And I'm telling you, if you hear God say something about the way you should raise your children, He didn't ask you if you're too busy to do it. He didn't ask you whether it fit conveniently in your busy schedule. God expects you to do every single thing that He has called you to do. And with the commandments of God comes the grace of God to do it. Every one of them. It's not like I can keep His commandments over here. I've got to work this much and do this much to provide for my family. And if I don't, I'm worse than an infidel. That's true. But if you ever use that as an excuse to not do the other things God calls on you to do with your children, then you are not obeying the voice of God. And I'm telling you, as much as you don't obey Him in that area, it's not going to go well with you. It isn't. And you know, I, I listened to a series of messages which I highly commend to all of you that Paul Washer spoke concerning faith. And you know, one of the things that he laid down as a very basic principle is we do not... He, he said it's right and proper, of course, to obey because God commands it. But you know what? It is neither pleasing to God to do it simply out of some fear because He's commanded it. Oh, we're supposed to fear God. But you know, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And, and the interesting thing was, he said, you know, the reason that he doesn't watch garbage on television or run after the woman at work is not merely because God has commanded it. It's because he believes 
that it will go well with him if he doesn't run off with a woman at work. And because he believes that it will not go well with him if he watches that garbage on television. And folks, there is such a principle there. And I realize this. For you guys to really take the voice of the Lord seriously, there's got to be faith there. You must believe in the depths of your heart. There must be a conviction that grabs and constrains you to the depths of your soul. That if you do with your children what God says you should do and your grandchildren, that it's going to go well with you and well with them. And if you don't do it, it is detrimental to their souls. And I'm not certain that we believe that as much as we should. And again, I'm afraid hyper-Calvinistic thinking comes in. If you don't know what it is, that's all right. But I'll tell you, it's this idea that, well, God's going to save my children. And if he doesn't save them, there's nothing I can do. And you know what? I'm not even going to say that that's true. Because as that's stated, you don't find it like that in the Scriptures. And I'll tell you what you do find in the Scriptures. And I'm going to tell you these Scriptures, and I realize there's going to be quite a few of them, because I want to bolster your faith. I want you guys to be constrained. You know something? I planted a garden last spring. And... I grew up with a, with a stepfather that raised, well, my dad farmed many acres, but my stepdad had a several acre garden, and so I saw that growing up. Well, Texas, I didn't think was the best place to try to raise one, but I tried this. I, we raised some tomatoes and some other things, and I started this garden. You know, one thing I saw in raising a garden is I'm very dependent upon God to shine His sun down on that garden, and to, especially to bring His rain on that garden. And if he doesn't do it, it's dead in the water. I can do everything. I can fertilize it. But if he doesn't shine his sun and bring his rain, and you know, I can even bring out the garden hose, but I'll tell you, there's something in God's rain that isn't matched in the garden hose. And any of you that gardened or tried to raise a beautiful lawn, you know that. But you know what? As much as we are dependent upon God for all that, and we are, and without him, like I say, there's, you're not going to have a garden. You build in vain if you try to build without Him. But folks, you don't tend that garden. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have weeds, and you're going to have bugs, and you're going to have animals. And if you're not fertilizing, and if you're not pruning and nurturing that garden, you know what? That garden is soon going to lose its beauty, and it's going to lose its fruitfulness, and it's going to be strangled out by those weeds and it's going to, you're going to come back and it is going to be dead. And God can bring some rain and He can bring some sunshine, but it's going to be dead and it's going to be overrun and it's going to be chewed up and the bugs will have spit it out and the animals will have eaten all the birds that come in. And you know what? We believe that. And we act that way with regards to a garden. But when it comes to our children, you know, folks, it's exactly the same way. We need the sun. To shine upon our children. The sunshine of God's face. We need the rain. We need Him to rain His grace upon our children. There's no question about it. But folks, I'm telling you, if you don't nurture that child, you're going to end up with the same thing. The weeds are going to come up. The bugs are going to come in. The animals are going to come over there. And you know what? You're going to come back before you know it. You know what those children are going to look like? They're going to look just like that garden. And if you don't believe that, then you have not read God's Word aright. You have not read the Proverbs right, for certain. I want you guys to hear these 
promises. I want them to be ingrained in you. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 30.19 Choose life that you and your offspring may live. Now, I don't want to read too much into that passage, folks. But parents aren't just to choose life for themselves. They choose it for their children as well. That they may live. Now, I realize every child has to make decisions before the Lord themselves. But parents, Moses is saying, be resolute. You remember how Abraham was or how Joshua was? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. God commends Abraham because he was going to lead his family to follow the Lord. There needs to be a resolution with you parents. Be resolute that your children are going to follow the Lord. Be resolute that your children are going to be saved. Be determined. Be determined. Listen to this. Psalm 25.12 Who is the man who fears the Lord? You guys, do we have some people who fear the Lord in here? I believe we do. Who is the man who fears the Lord? His offspring shall inherit the land. You know that inherit the land? It's the very same phrase, inherit the earth. That you find in the Beatitudes of the New Testament. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know who it says is going to inherit the earth? The offspring of the man who fears the Lord. Psalm 102.28 The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Do we have any servants of the Lord in here? It says their offspring will be established before Him. We are servants of the Master and the Master promises that our offspring will be established You guys know that I cannot guarantee that every child is going to be saved of every Christian parent. But I'm telling you guys, there are promises in the Word of God where I believe with my whole heart that our expectation should be that as Christians, our children will be saved. And that the exception should be when that does not happen. Not when it does happen. And you may say, I'm sounding awful covenantal here. I'm sounding awful Presbyterian. I'm telling you, even in the New Testament, it says that the children of believers are holy. Right in 1 Corinthians 7. It says that. And you know what I'm telling you? Our children, the children of Christians, have an advantage. They do. You know what advantage they have? They're raised in families where they have the Word of God spoken to them. They are raised in families where they are brought to church. They are raised Families where they are exposed to the truth. They are raised in families where they are protected from many of the things that the children out in this world are not protected from. Folks, that's a reality. When it is by the gospel that men and women and children are saved, and in our families being exposed to that gospel, they are at a huge advantage. Folks, I'm telling you, most of the children in this world, in our society today, are not hearing the true gospel. They are not. The true gospel is not being preached in most churches on this east side. It's not. But if it's being preached in our families, you know what? One thing I know about God's elect, 
Is it someplace, some way, somewhere in their lives they were exposed to the gospel? And if our children are, by and large, those who are being exposed in this country to the gospel, doesn't that lead us to conclude that very likely, you guys, you understand this? It's just as much by grace that God would save my children and my grandchildren as much as He saved me. But if God comes to you and gives you promises that ought to give you hope and the fact that your children would be saved, don't write that down to somehow you're then saved by bloodlines. Write it down to not just God's single grace that He saved you, but double grace that you might have hope that your children would be saved. It's still by the grace of God. It's not because of any works we do. It's not because of the greatest efforts we do. But I'm telling you, God rewards the works we do and He gives promises to them. And he says in the Scriptures, you train up a child in the way they should go. When they get old, they're going to walk that way, folks. And that works out to the negative as well as to the positive. You raise them bad. When they get old, they're going to walk bad. When you raise them good, and you know what? They may have times when they drift away and they may become prodigals. But I'm telling you guys, don't give up hope. If your child has wandered, you listen to what it says. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. We have any here that delight in His commandments? His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. You know, it doesn't say how they'll be blessed. But I can certainly take that promise and expand it to its fullest. Lord, You said my children would be blessed. And I realize that may have something to do with the protection that children naturally, supernaturally have when they live in the household of a Christian and they go to a true church of Jesus Christ. But Lord, though it may mean that, Lord, can I take that blessing at its fullest? I want life for them, Lord. I want life. The off, listen to this, Proverbs 11.21 says, The offspring of the righteous will be delivered. We have some righteous in this room. Righteous in the righteousness of Christ. We have some. Your offspring will be delivered. It doesn't... You don't know what it's from. You don't know what it's going to be delivered from. It may be from worldly influences that they're protected from. But Lord, again, I want to take that promise at its fullness. Lord, deliver my children from Your wrath. Deliver them, please. You said You'd deliver them. Lord, You didn't put any limits on it. Lord, You're a God. You're the Father of lights from whomever good and perfect gifts run from. Lord, there's no limit on what You can give. Lord, if You've given a promise, far be it from You to give little promises. Don't we sing? We, 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 large petitions with You bring. We're coming to a King. I want to, I want to maximize this thing. Lord, You said You've delivered them. Oh, the righteous. Is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Lord, what way, what way more could my children be a blessing than to grow up and fear you and go into this world as bright and shining lights like John the Baptist and proclaim your gospel of grace among these nations, including this one? Lord, please, please. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Guys, that's what the psalmist says. This is a prayer. But not only is this from a brother a long time ago, this is inspired. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray, God, may your glorious power be to our children. If God teaches us to pray that way, do you think 
It's because He has some intentions of doing good to our children. Psalm 103, 17 and 18, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. I read this. You guys are familiar. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And I say, Lord, am I blessed if my quiver is full? If they rise up and they detest You and hate Your Word and live in the ways of this world and bring shame and dishonor? Lord, are they a blessing to us? Will they not be a blessing, Lord? More so if they walk in our paths. And even more, they outrun us. They do more than us. They live more righteously. We're mostly first generation Christians. And we don't have this thing right. We didn't have the examples. And we bear so much of what the sins that we indulged in when we were lost. But oh God, take our children. Don't let them go that way. Don't let them. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. I say, Lord, olive shoots. What good is an olive shoot unless it brings forth an olive? Lord, what good are these children unless they be fruitful? I know that our children, even if they're damned, they'll bring glory to God. But it promises that those who fear the Lord, those children are going to sit around that table. And it doesn't say they're going to glorify God because they're going to be children of wrath. It says it's going to, it pictures it as a joyful thing. They're going to be these shoots of the olive. It means they're going to be young. You know what a shoot of an olive is? It's before the fruit comes forth. It's like your table is surrounded by those who in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years are going to bring forth all this fruit. Guys, this is what the Scripture says. We have confidence. The righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. The fear of the Lord... In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. God, give our children the refuge of your wings. Shelter them, Lord, from sin and from Satan and from death and from the... And you know, when I look at the Scriptures, I realize I said that some will rise up in our own families, the children against their parents, mothers and daughters against father and mother. I realize some of the will be in our own household. But isn't it amazing to you that when you come to the Scriptures, when you find people being saved, what does it say? What are we told? John 4. You've got a, a, a Roman official. Does it say that just he was saved? It says he was saved and his household was saved. You go to the book of 1 Corinthians, you've got Stephanus. You know what? You go back, it's taught, they're taught, that family, that household is talked about in chapter 1, but it's also talked about in chapter 15. And you know what it says there? The whole house of Stephanus were converted. Of course, you, you know about the book of Acts. You've got the household of Cornelius. You've got the household of Lydia. You've got the household of, of um, the Philippian jailer. You've got the household of, is it Crispus? Folks, in all those cases, it didn't just say one individual was saved out of the household. It saves, says that the whole house... Ha- God shows us this pattern repeatedly. 
Lord, this is always my cry. Lord, what, what is this? I mean, I feel this way when I look at the book of Acts. I heard at a recent conference, somebody said, you know what? He said at one point in his life, he felt like just throwing his whole Bible away because he would read in the book of Acts. But when he looked around him, he didn't see those things happening today and in our place. Listen to something John Piper said about Martin Jones and he was speaking about gifts and the power of God and all this. And I look at this and I say, Amen. I look at the book of Acts and I say, Lord, this is the way you dealt with the early church. This is the power that was demonstrated. These are the households that were saved. Lord, where is it today? Where is it? Do we just throw it away? Is that all for a past age and a past time? Can we not rest our souls right here on this book today? I think we can. I know we can. We can, dear God, rewrite Acts today in our generation. That was just, that was, we have a record. Luke tells us of what Christ did in the first book, in the book of Luke. And then he gets to the book of Acts and he says it's the continuing work of Christ in his church. And that church is still here today. He's still working. Oh, okay. I end with this. And I'm going to shoot right through it, but it has to do with our text. Folks, I've said all this because I want you guys to realize when God gives His Word and says to us, bring them up. Bring those children up. In the admonition of the Lord. Not the fear. The nurture and the admonition. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want us to look at that and say, you know what? Based on God's Word, I have reason to believe and to hope and to expect that if I give myself to these commandments of God with regards to my children, I'm going to see that fruit. I'm going to lay my head down on my pillow. Although we may have seasons like Jacob of old where we can think about a son, Joseph, who we think is lost. But in the end, his head did not fall down to his pillow in sorrow. He not only saw Joseph, he saw Joseph's sons. And may that be our lot. To see our sons rise up and our daughters rise up. I'm not going to deal with the instruction of the Lord this morning. I'm just going to deal with the discipline of the Lord. There's enough to be said in that. I'm going to give you some quick points. Eight quick points here about the discipline of the Lord. First, it's a matter of life. Disciplining your child is a matter of life and death. The Proverbs speak clearly. Listen. Proverbs 5.23, the wicked dies for lack of discipline. Your little children might seem cute in your eyes, but don't miss what they are. The children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, there's none righteous, including your little children. They are wicked when they come into this world. They're estranged from their mother's wombs. And you know, the wicked will die for lack of discipline. Proverbs 6.23, the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. You want to put your child on the way of life? You want to be that instrument in the hands of God to direct your child into the ways of life? It says discipline 
the reproofs that come by that discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son while there is hope. And if you don't, listen to what it says. Discipline your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. You see what's clearly implied? You don't discipline your son. You are setting your heart on putting that child to death. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. The word Sheol is used negatively throughout the book of Proverbs. It is a bad sense. I realize sometimes in the Scriptures it can mean the place or the abode of the dead generically. It is used in a very negative way all through the book of Proverbs. In fact, the King James renders it hell. You will deliver the soul of your child from hell if you will discipline them. It is a matter of life. Second, it is a matter of example. Think with me, folks. Now, Charles probably said that because he's thinking discipline and training have to do with the example of a parent. That is very much right and very much true, but that's not what I mean by this. It is a matter of example. And what I mean by that is, listen to it. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we could make that into a compound sentence and say, them up in the of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. Well, let me ask you guys, what is the discipline of the Lord? What is the discipline of the Lord? Well, first off, discipline doesn't mean just wildly wheeling the paddle. You guys understand that? Discipline is actually, in some translations... King James is rendered nurture. In the NIV and the New King James, it's rendered train or training. Discipline has to do with all of your children's education, all of their training, all of their discipline. It's a, it's a very wide term. But listen, you guys, do you know the only other time in all of the New Testament that this phrase shows up, the discipline of the Lord? Can anybody think where that's found? Hebrews chapter 12. The discipline of the Lord. You know what? If something is of the Lord, it's something that the Lord approves of. It's something that comes from the Lord. You know what's interesting? When you come to the Scriptures, the way God deals with His children is always paralleled in the Scriptures to the way Fathers deal with their children. Our parents deal with their children. If we want to know how to discipline our children, well, look at the parallel of how God deals with His children. This is clearly brought out in Deuteronomy 8.5. Know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord, your God, disciplines you. See, there's a parallel there. Proverbs 3.11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And then right there in Hebrews 12, 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? You guys, it's a matter of example. You want the perfect example? Look at how God deals with his children. How does he train them? How does he discipline his spiritual children? 
Hebrews 12, 5. Here's the phrase. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So I'm laying down this assertion of the Lord means it's the discipline that comes from him. It's of him. It's according to his approval. And we can see what he approves of by the way he does it. Well, the next thing. Third thing, it's a matter of love. One thing for absolute certain, when God spanks us, He does it because He loves us. Even when it's the severest discipline. You guys, when God put the Corinthians to death for abusing the Lord's Supper, He didn't do it because He hated Him. You know what it says? He did it to them so that they would not be condemned with the rest of the world. He did it because He loves them. Don't you dare say as a parent that you love your children too much to spank them. Don't you even go there. The proverb says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Yes, it causes them pain. We don't do it because we enjoy the pain it causes them. We do it because we believe that by causing them this little bit of pain now, it's going to deliver them from much greater pain later. That's always it. That's what love does. But you see, it comes back to faith again. If you don't really believe that, then you're not going to do that. If you're not really convinced that your child is very likely to end up in the pit of hell if you neglect them, then you're likely not to discipline them. I'm telling you this, the more your faith will latch on to this truth, the more you believe your child is likely to end up in that pit, the more your love will reach out and correct and discipline and educate and deal with that children. Your motivation, I realize, must flow out of this. Did Jesus Christ discipline those He hated? Listen to this in Revelation 13, 3.19 as He's speaking to the churches of Asia Minor. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And this is brought out in the Proverbs. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and be weary of His reproof. The Lord reproves him whom He loves. You know what? I tell my children this. I I was just telling Joshua the other day, I said, Joshua, you know, you you don't even realize with all the godless homes in this country how blessed you are that God put you in a family with Christian parents. You know what? When children have parents who will deal with them biblically and discipline them in a godly manner, they are blessed. They are blessed. You know, Job says, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. And I say, folks, blessed is the child who has a father and a mother who disciplines them. Fourth thing, fourth thing, it's a matter of righteousness. When we speak of training, equipping, shaping our children, there's a goal in mind. There's always a goal. What is that goal? Here, Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. God disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Why does God train? The grace of God has appeared in Titus, it says, training us. What are we trained for? To renounce ungodliness, worldly passions. You guys, do you see why I have emphasized to you that Jesus Christ is the standard of parenting? Because righteousness is the objective, folks. And Christ is the perfect example of righteousness. That is our goal. Righteousness is always the purpose of discipline. Discipline is not for venting your anger. It is for producing holiness and righteousness in your children. And if your parenting is not producing that. You guys, this idea of discipline has to do with molding your child into a righteous individual. And I'm going to ask you guys this. You as parents are responsible for everything that is coming into the lives of your children. I want to ask you this. Are the movies you're letting your children watch and the television you're letting and the schools you're sending them to and the teachers you're exposing them to and the friends at school that you're exposing them to and all of this stuff is it producing righteousness in them? That's the question. Are the influences you allow in your child disciplining them and training them and instructing them and educating them to righteousness and holiness? Because if you full well know that there are areas in your child's life that you willingly expose them to that are not creating holiness in that child and not creating righteousness in that child and not promoting Christ-likeness, you are in sin. And I can tell you that from the Scriptures. Your discipline must be and must have must be steered towards that goal of righteousness. And if you are allowing influences in that child's life that is engendering unrighteousness, parent, you are accountable. And you are at fault. You are. You are. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. The disciplines of the Lord. The training of the Lord. Is that the training of the Lord when you send your children into an environment that is not healthy and wholesome and nurturing them in righteousness? I am not the judge. But I can tell you what God's Word says. And if you are allowing even in one place that kind of of influence in your children's life, then you are not obeying this commandment. And I'm telling you this, if you will not hear the voice of the Lord in that one area, it will not go well with you. It will not go well with you. This isn't my standard. This is God's standard. Your training needs to engender righteousness in your children. And it says, fathers, parents, you do it. You have no right to shrug it off to a school teacher or a Sunday school teacher or a television or anything else. You don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to send them off to let some daycare worker do it or to let some babysitter do it. You must do it. You must do it. That's what God's Word says. That's my responsibility and yours. And I'm telling you folks, all this is coming home here. 
I'm saying it here to you now, but this is all hitting me. And I'm examining everything. I'm realizing it will not go well with... I, I mean, this truth is really... It's tagging my faith, folks. And I'm realizing, I believe it. I'm looking, wow, this is not the most beneficial thing for my children. In fact, there is no good, there is no righteousness in this thing or that thing. It needs to be cut out. It needs to be cut off. No matter what kind of problems it may create in your lifestyle, whatever difficulties it may bring into your comfort zone, you need to make those changes. You say, well, it would just be too difficult. It'd be this, it'd be that. I can't homeschool. I can't do this. I, and I, you know what? I'm not setting anything up as a necessary standard now. Every parent has to make those decisions. But I'm telling you, if, even if it's homeschool, you give them a curriculum that is not engendering righteousness in that child, it is bad and it is wrong. Just as much as if you send them outside your doors to a school that is not doing that. It's a matter of righteousness. And folks, it's a matter of repentance. You know what Christ said? Christ said, those ones I love, what does He do to them? He rebukes them, He reproves them, He disciplines them. And He says to them, turn. Repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. You see this? You are bringing your children from unrighteousness to righteousness. Righteousness is the pattern. Christ-likeness is the goal. What you want is repentance, folks. Discipline, its aim is repentance. Christ says He disciplines to produce repentance. How often in the Old Testament Scriptures, folks, was this the case? God would bring some pestilence. God would bring some famine. And what was it? So that they would turn to Him. So that they would repent. And He would keep going and keep going and keep going until they repented. They need to repent. Brother read from Romans 13 today. It will not go well with them. But you guys, this is so important. Sometimes you ask, and parents ask this oftentimes, well, how much should I spank them? I mean, it seems like I'm killing them. Well, for one thing, the Scripture says, you're not killing them. The proverb says, Beat them with that rod. They won't die. But parents wonder, well, how far do I go in spanking? How far do I go in discipline? And, you know, Brother Charles would say, you know, ooh, I had to give my... uh, One one time I had to give my child five swats or something. You know, whole five swats. I look at that and I say, Charity in her prime would have laughed at that and spit it out. Now, that might work well with his children. And that that would work very well with grace and probably joy. But Charity would have simply laughed at that. You know what? I can't set up a standard. Charles can't set up a standard. And and really, there isn't one. The standard is repentance, folks. That that is it. You need to bring... You know what repentance is all about? It's bringing your child to a contrite and broken state where they are humbled. You know, have have you ever... Any of you ever... Hello. Have any of you ever thanked and found that the child was angry afterwards? That child, not broken, not contrite. So do you want to know something? You need to to dish out a greater helping. Remember, God our Father is our example. I guarantee this, God tries to get your attention and 
He brings some trial in your life and you don't respond the right way, guess what's going to happen? Another spanking's on the horizons, folks. And it needs to be the same way with your children. If You know what? Bring repentance. Bring repentance. That's the goal. I mean, you want that child to be broken. And five swats may work in some situations. There's no standard. You know what? Sometimes it doesn't even take any. Do you remember how Peter was brought to repentance? A look from the Savior's eyes. You may look at a child and they break. You can tell if your child's broken. You guys, bring the, break, break that child. Humble that child. Bring them to a state of contriteness. You're doing their soul a favor. Because you know what? That's exactly where every one of their souls is going to have to be brought before they'll ever come to Christ. And what you are doing is you're acting as that very means in the hand of God to bring that child to a place of brokenness and repentance before Him. Not just before you. If you've got a child that is not doing what you want them to do, then there is no, there's no brokenness. There's no repentance. And you know what? You train... You're training your children every time. Your children are being trained. You need to train them towards righteousness. You need to train them with an objective of bringing them to repentance. But if you don't, you're still training them. You know what? If you say to that little child, no, and then you don't deal with it, you have just trained that child that it is okay to hear mommy or daddy say no and to keep doing what they want to do. And you know what you're training them ultimately to do? Because God tells them to obey their parents. You are training them to disobey God. You are. You train your child to disobey you, whom God says they need to obey you. You are training them to disobey the Lord. And you know what happens when they grow up and they get old? You train them in that way. When they get old, they're going to walk in it, folks. And when they grow up and God says, Thou shall not, they're going to say it doesn't matter. Authority doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can say, well, you know, they're just a little child. Well, folks, it says... You need to, in the old King James, it says you discipline them betimes, early, early. Don't let that sin get ingrained in their heart. You you begin to form a pattern of repentance in that child early, early on. Next thing I say, it's a matter of the heart. Scripture says the rod drives folly out of the heart of the child. Sometimes we say, well, I can't touch their heart. Oh, no, God says you can God says you can't. In fact, God says blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. So that's another question that comes up. Well, what if I'm spanking so hard I cause bruises on my child? Well, you know what? I would say that generally is not going to be the norm. But if you do have to to produce the biblical repentance that we're aiming at here, so be it. I mean, the Scripture says... Blows that wound, cleanse away evil. Sometimes it may do that. Now I'll tell you, we need to have a paddle under one arm, we need to have a Bibles under the underarm, and we need to be on our knees. We need to be seeking the Lord. We need to be humbled in our own spirits. You don't spank your children in anger. You do it out of love. You do it because you're trying to bring righteousness and repentance into the life of that child. And if in, in seeking humbly before your God to produce that in your child. You produce some blueness of the wound on that rear end. It says, 
They make clean the innermost parts. I'll tell you this. Charity, when she was young, she came out and she got into the tapes. And I've told, told some of you guys this before. She got in the tapes. And I said, Charity, no. No, sweetie. Ah, she just blew that off. Went right back in them. So I said again, Charity, no. And this time I took her off and I spanked her. And that might have happened two or three times. And uh, you know what? Finally, she wouldn't touch the tapes. And she, from what I remember, she never did after that. She was trained not to do it. Now, you guys full well know, if I would have said no and not done anything about it, she'd have been in the tapes for the rest of the days. We had two other incidents that I remember that required two or three hours of repetitive spankings. She finally was broken, but I think I was broken too. It's not easy. No parent who loves their child enjoys seeing their child suffer. But when you really believe in the depths of your soul that all of this labor is likely to be used of God to bring them to repentance before Christ, and to deliver their soul from the pit. While you're spanking that child, if you find it very difficult, just imagine your child in the flames of that burning lake. That'll help. I know I've used up my time, but I'll give you the last two. It's a matter of rest and delight. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. You know, folks, sometimes our lack of discipline is shown right in the area of our own rest. Do you f- I, I can remember when I worked on the Alamo Dome project, there was, a, there was a foreman that oversaw one of the crews that did some assembly over there. I said, so you missing your family? He said, not at all. I love to be here. He said, I can't stand being around my kids. And I remember thinking, you ought to go look in the mirror. You are the fault. Parents, your children ought to, ought to be a delight to you. If you find being with your children, being at home, you know what? If being around your children is not a pleasant thing, if it's not delightful, you need to go look in that mirror too. If you discipline that children, the Scripture says they will give you. They will be pleasant. They will be a delight to you. And and there, I, I understand. Some children are going to rebel against all of our best efforts. But I know this: even those children that may ultimately rebel, when they're growing up and they're in their younger years, when they become teenagers. All your efforts will be rewarded. It will still bring a peace and it will bring a rest in your home that would not be there otherwise. A child who may run off into this world later on, but brought up in a godly home, you go look at that home and compare it to a child who runs off into the world and was raised in a very ungodly home. There's a whole world of difference. 
Last thing is, folks, it's a matter of Scripture. You want to know how God trains? The Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. God trains us through His Word. God trains us. He equips us. He reproves us. He teaches us. He corrects us. All Scripture is profitable for that. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired. And it is profitable for that very thing. You want to train your children? You want to discipline them correctly? Like I said to you already, paddle under one arm, Bible under the other arm, and your knees planted on the floor. That is good posture for parenting. Be much in the Word. Be much opening that Word to your children. Guys, I realize I've been long. I'm concerned for us. I'm concerned for our children. You know how the Scripture says, Why will you die, O Israel? Remember Moses' words. Choose life for yourselves and for your little ones. Choose life. Lord, We're cast upon You. Father, in all of this, my greatest concern is that these brothers and sisters in this room would rise to the occasion of parenting their children in a way, Lord, that resembles the way You deal with us in love. Lord, it is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of love. It is a matter of righteousness. A matter of following Your example. A matter of repentance. It's a matter of peace in our homes and delight to our souls. It's a matter of being in the Scriptures. It's a matter of bringing our children, leading them to repentance, I pray, Lord, that You would grant that these things would be so. May we be diligent to do what You've called upon us to do. We need... Your wisdom. We need Your help. We need Your encouragement. Lord, we need faith. Faith is a gift from You. Help us to believe these things. Help us to adhere to them. Help us to hold them. And guide our steps. Lord, I pray, if I've said anything that would be of my own making, may may it be lost to their minds and hearts. But what is the voice of the Lord? May it break in upon them with such force and power as to not be soon or easily lost. I pray in Christ's name.